Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. At Trinity Grace Church, our mission is to help New Yorkers grow in love by practicing the way of Jesus for the good of our city. If you're interested in Trinity Grace Church Tribeca, check out our website at tgctribeca.com where you can learn more about us and learn about ways that you can help support our church and this podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to see and hear what's going on in our community. Thank you for joining us today and welcome grace and peace to you. reading from Luke 10, 25 through 37. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On the occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your strength and all of your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and saw him. He took pity on him. When he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The Gospel of our Lord. Peace be with you. It's wonderful to see you this morning. My name is David Gunger. I'm one of the pastors here. Got the call this morning at about 8.45 where Michael said, I am very sick. Uh, he had to cancel uh, his, his part of the book discussion this morning that goes on every Sunday. Um, and he said, I, I don't think I can preach. I've been throwing up like every 30 minutes. It's just terrible. And I said, what's the text? And he said, the Good Samaritan. I said, it preaches itself. It's fine. I'll be good. <laughs> um, so this morning, no prep other than here together we are. And so we start this morning with just a breath to kind of 
calm ourselves to focus on a contemplative prayer. Together, if you don't mind, let us pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us this morning with your love, that through your scriptures you would open our eyes, you'd open our hear, ears to hear your voice, and that God, um, this morning that we would somehow be inspired to become merciful as you are merciful. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this morning, um, I want to start off a little bit about something that I've been kind of journeying on and uh, wrestling with, which is uh, the path of spirituality. And I think this morning, it will help be a guide for how we let Scripture speak to us. In the Jewish tradition, it's said that as a child, read the Proverbs. As an adolescent, in your teen years, read Ecclesiastes. And as an adult, read the wisdom of the Song of Solomon. And those three things represent this threefold path of spirituality, which is this. The first thing is purification. It's this idea that somehow we build we purify our minds so that we can be edified and build up. And as a child, it's so important to teach our children, especially that's why to my own children, read the Proverbs. It's something that it gives you wisdom to build on. Then in your adolescence, and this is natural and it's healthy and sometimes it freaks people out, is there's a certain type of deconstruction that happens that traditionally is called illumination. So you move from purification to illumination where you see things in a different way. So for instance, in the Proverbs, you get all of these sayings or all of these pieces of wisdom and then Ecclesiastes, essentially it's an existential crisis that goes, everything is meaningless. And you dive into the wisdom of illumination. And finally, you get the Song of Solomon, which is this beautiful union of the two where you learn how to read poetry and allegory in a way that you start to see things in a new way. Now, this form is done in pretty much every spiritual path. So, modernly, we would call it construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. In our own Christian faith, we call it life, death, resurrection. In science, they call it ethics, physics, metaphysics. In the Platonic tradition, the methodology was, he talked about Agathon, Socrates, and then Diatoma. And then finally in literature, if we've got any teachers here, this is thesis, antithesis, synthesis. This is the process in which we wrestle with a text. Now for some of us this morning, we come to this text and we hear it for the first time. And it's one of these stories where we go, okay, we get these people going, how then shall we be saved? How do I inherit 
eternal life. And Jesus responds with this story. And on one, on one end, it's great to hear a story where there is a group of people whose greatest enemy, the Samaritans, become the hero, the savior, in which they save us, right? We're reading this story on one end as the person that, well, we need saving. But oftentimes, when I read this story, the hard thing about who then shall be saved, once we feel like we're on the good guys team, that we are, we're Christians, we're the right believers, we kind of come to this savior complex where we think that we're the ones who are always going to be saving. Because we get to the end and it goes, you also do that, right? But the problem is, most of the time still, when we read parables, we tend to read it first on a level that we think is about humans. But that's not the way to read parables. The way to read parables are first theologically, meaning what does this say about God? What does this say about who God is? And then we read it saying, where do we fit in the story? And finally, how then shall we live? The union of those things. And so this morning, we start off thinking, what does this say theologically? Well, for one, we have the person who is wounded in the ditch. They're needing help. They are hurt. And when they see people walking down the road and they cry out for help, all of those people who we think that are the people that should be the saviors, the righteous people, all of them are too busy. So in a modern day version of this parable, we'd have someone that passes by someone and says, I'm sorry, I can't help you right now. I would love to help, but I've got to go protest this bad injustice. Or, I'm sorry I can't help you right now. I actually am already going to volunteer down at the soup kitchen. I'm sorry I can't help you right now. I've got to go to church. In whatever way, you have these holy people that are good people that don't have time for the person right in front of them that's hurting. And for us, whenever I think of this story, I think of the ways in which I tend to first rush to the judgment of God rather than the mercy of God because the judgment of God is much more easily understood, meaning I am a sinner. I don't always help the person. And because of that, I expect judgment. However, in this story, what's flipped around is that the mercy of God is much more demanding than the judgment of God. This is a Karl Barth thought that eventually a, a, a Bishop Will Willimon so eloquently wrote about, where he would talk about our Savior is the one that we don't want. So think of it in Jesus' time. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, and yet all of these people who are longing for the Christ see Jesus and eventually the same people that are saying, Hosanna, 
are the same people that say, crucify him. Now we find ourselves in the story that the person that we want to save, us, we still look at them and we go, anyone but you. It can't be you. You cannot help me. There's, there's uh, lots of different stories we could use uh, and lots of movies that we could use um, that I feel like often share this kind of sentiment that play off of this story. One that I'm going to use now, it's not a great movie by any means, in my opinion, but I feel like the story applies, which is an old movie called Crash. And in this movie, um, there's an African-American woman who um, is pulled over and embarrassed. Her husband is embarrassed by a police officer and then ends up where she's kind of touched inappropriately and she feels totally powerless. She can't do anything about it. Later on in the movie, in the story, she's in a really terrible car accident. And the car is about to explode. It's very dramatic Hollywood style. And the police officer that comes to rescue her is the same police officer that had inappropriately embarrassed her husband and disrespected their family. And so when she sees the police officer, she freaks out and says, don't touch me, anyone but you. Don't touch me. And the police officer ends up having to kind of carry her as she fights, and he saves her life. Now, the point in this is think about the Samaritan and think about this Jewish person in which this is the unclean. This is the person, the last person you would want to have save you. Think right now of someone who is your political antithesis, the person that is the most, you've got to be kidding. It can't be you. You're my savior. You're the person that is going to rescue me right now. And yet, times it by a hundred, in which this goes back for years and years and years of wronging your family, of doing something that you feel like is unholy to your God. They still did. Samaritans did crazy sacrifices and very to the point of the Jews, they thought these people were completely immoral. And so now, so now you go, this person, this is the person rescuing me. And so we look at the mercy of the person, our enemy, and it's harder to accept the mercy of the enemy than it is to accept their anger because we ourselves are angry with our enemy. And so now you think of Jesus and oftentimes, God's grace, which is so much more demanding and difficult, it's easier to not forgive than to forgive. It's easier to look at the person that wronged us and go, go to hell. But what happens when we say to the person, go to hell, they are the person that will bring us heaven. This is the complex, terrible part of Christianity. For me, because it somehow is laying down my weapons. It's laying down my sword and saying to the person that I call enemy, somehow through you, I find grace. Through you, I find salvation. In the stranger, in the unintelligible, that is the place you find God. In Orthodox theology, they talk about how the light 
is the mercy of God. When we step into the light, I'll take off my hat here. I'm pretty bald right now. And I get a little insecure about my baldness, right? And so what do I do? I cover it up. Or if maybe you, you know, you're here in the light and you've got to be in light, people put on makeup. Why? Because you don't want to see, I don't want you to see my flaws. There's something about being seen that is demanding and difficult. And so we hide when we're in pain, we always move to the ditch. And we always say, not you. I can be rescued by those like me, but I cannot be rescued by the stranger. I cannot be rescued by the enemy. And I would like to suggest that when you step into the light, into God's mercy, that that is the judgment of God. That is the thing when we are finally in the light, we see our creatureness and our creatureness, remember, in the beginning, we were created. And man and woman are created in the image and likeness of God. The great story of the fall is that when we fall, we keep the image, but we lose the likeness. And so every time we see any human being, they have the dignity of God because they are in the image of God. So there is no one that doesn't have dignity. However, most of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means our likeness is somehow incarvatus or bent towards ourselves, towards our tribes. And so our love is not a love that extends and gives. In the Trinity, the love is always giving, is always flowing. But in our own likeness, our love is cut off for us and for those in our tribe. And yet, the love of God, the love of salvation, is a love that extends beyond that. And it's something that transcends that. And so when you step into the kingdom of God, who is allowed in the kingdom of God? Who then shall be saved, they asked Jesus. Well, every time Jesus responds with a parable, he responds about the person that loses the coin. And God is the old woman who continues to look for that coin. He responds with a parable of the Good Samaritan, where somehow the way that we experience God's salvation is through the stranger, is through the unintelligible. Somehow he talks about a parable where, how do I experience salvation? The salvation is the feast of God where we're sitting at the table of God. And there are all these people at a wedding banquet. And yet, some people cannot eat with the sinners. And so they get up and leave. So the person at the banquet says, fill up the table with anyone who's hungry. And in come the poor. In come the people who don't deserve to be at the table. And so you go, well, then who is in the kingdom of God? Those who are able to be in the light. Those who are able to see their creatureness. Somehow God's non-creatureness, right? We'd say God transcends this. God is creator. And in that light, 
if you can't eat with that person, if you can't be at the table, who is welcome to the table? Everyone, every man, woman, child, unless you can't eat with every man, woman, and child. C.S. Lewis would say this. He would say, those who are in hell. It's not that God is this vindictive judgment person that locks you up in hell. No, no, no. Hell is the reality, the present reality and future reality, in which people cannot be with those people. And so they go outside of the city, and they continue to roam saying, anyone but you. I cannot be saved by you. And so they wander. And in C.S. Lewis's words, and this is beautiful, somehow it's not that God is vindictive against them. God is continuing to pursue after them. However, when you somehow forget that you are made in the image and likeness of God and your likeness is no longer there, your image starts to blur and you become something other. To be fully human is to be fully in the image and likeness of God. Meaning, when we see Jesus, we see what it means to be fully human. We see what the human really is. And so when he talks about our heaven and the kingdom of God being a present reality, it is a present reality with future implications, but it also ties us to the story of what has always been. And so within this morning, I think of for us, we have a call. On one side, it's really easy to go, okay, let's start off with who is my neighbor? Who are we in this story? Number one, you're not the savior. You're the person in the ditch. So who is your neighbor? Who is your enemy right now? It might be your mother who on Facebook puts political things that you're like, mom, I can't believe you're doing this. Mom, what are you doing, right? And yet, what if she somehow will lead you to a certain form of grace that only she can lead you to? What if it's your atheist coworker who is so mean-spirited towards you about your faith? In which way do you think that maybe God is working in them? Or maybe it's a spouse that doesn't go to church with you. Or maybe a son or daughter that has left the faith. I would just say, don't make an enemy out of your enemy. Realize that your enemy somehow is the stranger, which is the face of God. Now, it doesn't mean that they are God, but somehow God can still work through them. God works through an ass in Scripture. God can work through your teenage son. God does not choose favorites to just work through the good Christian people, right? And so my encouragement to you is first go, who is my neighbor? And in fact, every time someone is really doing something to your soul where you feel like, oh my gosh, I want to damn them to hell, I'd invite, are they my neighbor? And if they are my neighbor, in which way can I see the image of God in them? Or in which way is God working? 
The second question that I would say then is, okay, so once you realize this place of humility, of going, I am not the Savior, I am the one in the ditch, how then can I reach out and love others who are in the ditch? And how can I do that in a way that doesn't make me the Savior? No matter what we do, it's so easy right now, I feel like, to take an idea and for us to feel like because we believe in our idea, we are right and we are holy and we, we own justice, right? Time out. Scripture always says this, salvation belongs to God. Justice belongs to God. So anytime you think that you really know what's just, you are full of it. You have glimpses of justice, but God is justice. God is the only one that can bring about true justice and restoration and make things right. So then how do we, as people who long for justice, act justly in present time through mercy? I cannot own justice. I can't. But do you know what I can own? Mercy. Somehow Jesus, as the new Adam, has shown us the way to live. So Jesus shows us that for the sinner, for those who keep on sinning, judgment belongs to God, not you. However, in present time, how to treat the sinner and how to yourself experience salvation is through the mercy of God. And so then, how shall I show mercy? How shall I be merciful as the Lord is merciful? And so this morning, I need to shut up because I feel like I'm going to start preaching in a totally different direction. But I just end with this. One, you're not the good Samaritan. You're in the ditch. Two, who is your neighbor? Name them. Name your neighbor. Three, find that your neighbor is your path to salvation. Meaning that in your neighbor, in each other, right here in this place, we find God. And lastly, how then shall we live in the reality of God's light and mercy. Let us pray. Lord, this morning we come to you and we ask that you would pierce our hearts with truth. The truth that we are all broken and that no matter where we come from, we all fall short of truly li living into the likeness of God. And so, Lord, this morning, before we participate in communion, we get ready by confessing our sins, by praying for the world, and by professing our faith. So, Lord, this morning, break our hearts open. May we love and show mercy as you love and show mercy. In Christ's name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And please take time to rate and review. And of course, we couldn't do this without your support. So if you would like to make a donation, you can text TGC Tribeca to 77977. That's TGC Tribeca to 77977. And your support is very much appreciated. Grace and peace to you.